welcome to the Injured to Elite podcast with your host, Dr. David Meyer, sports physical therapist and mental performance coach. Dr. Dave is a former Major League Baseball rehab coordinator and has now integrated the mental side into physical rehabilitation. This podcast shares the many stories and strategies of those who have taken themselves from injured to elite. Head over to www.injuredtoelite.com to learn more about David and his recently published book, Injured to Elite. Everybody, Dave back here with episode number 71 of the Injured to Elite podcast. I'm joined today by two awesome guests, one of which I have a nice history with, Dr. James Spencer. And when I think of Dr. Spencer, I think of the individual out there that has literally changed the paradigm on what it means to be a multifaceted clinician. You can't put him in a box. And we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about getting outside of the box as not only a clinician, but also as an athlete and a patient. Dr. Spencer and I both worked with the Cardinals. He still is with the Cardinals. I've transitioned on. And we found ourselves in some awesome experiences working with some of the best orthopedic surgeons in the world and really doing some different things that he he was guiding me on, which, which was awesome. So in this episode, you're going to learn on a lot of different topics, one of which is his bearded balance program. So if you don't know much about Dr. Spencer, he actually has branded himself around the bearded kettlebell, which is a really cool kind of brand. And I encourage everybody to check him out on Instagram and we'll, we'll get all that from him. But we're going to talk about really focusing on going outside the box, this modernized approach to not just chiropractic services. I'm hesitant to even use that word because you can't, you can't even really put him in a physical therapy, a chiropractic performance bucket. It goes way beyond that. You all know how much I talk about going, you know, titles are overrated and our stories are underrated. He and his colleague have started a company called MediaZone based out of Jupiter, Florida, where they're actually working with one of my mentors, John Denny. And John's been on their podcast, the Palm Beach Podcast, awesome show. So let's jump into it with Dr. James Spencer and his colleague, Don Stanley, who is his director of his balance performance program or his director of performance for his bearded balance program. All right. So without further ado, here is Don and Dr. Spencer. Welcome to the show, guys. How are you? Dave, always a pleasure to see you, bud. Hey, man. Listen, I listened to your podcast and I was so psyched when I heard you say something about the donut challenge <laughs> down there in Jupiter with the cards because I'm very prideful. I'm not prideful about too much of my time with the Cardinals in terms of what I contributed. But one thing is the donut challenge. And I got to ask you, Big Frank won uh, my last year with the Cardinals. Did somebody, did, how's that been carrying that on? Well, you know, um, Big Frank did win. However, he threw up. Mm, so, uh, roast him for that yeah, one. So yeah. The rules had to change a little bit where that's kind of one of the, uh, the kickers is no throwing up after eating the, the donuts. You got to hold it down. Yeah. And, and thanks to Jupiter Donuts too. Oh my, Jupiter Donuts is unbelievable. And I, it was awesome listening to their story on your show. And I, you, you guys are doing such a great job at breaking down so many barriers. I mean, you first did it as this crazy chiropractor that's jumping on endo boards. And I meet you, you're in the Cardinals facility. I'm like, who is this guy? What is he? He's like, yeah, don't ask. Don't worry about asking so many questions. You'll, you'll figure them out over, over the years. And I certainly have really been privileged to get to know all the different arms that you have, which with the Palm Beach podcast, you're not really coming in from the angle of just as a clinician, you're really integrating into the community and breaking down barriers, just like you've done as a chiropractor. So tell me about how life's been over the last several years. Yeah, well, first off, I'd like to thank you kind of uh, for opening the door at the cards and, and being re very receptive to having a team approach to things because that, um, you know, as you enter a lot of pro professional athletes or organizations, sometimes it can be intimidating. You're not sure what you're going to get. So um, you kind of opening your arms and being very receptive was huge. So thank you for that. You know, it's funny and you're welcome. I, I remember the first day I saw you there. 
I, I still remember you were standing in the, the strength and conditioning area and it was before they remodeled it. And you something that was very interesting, and, and this is your demeanor for those that can't see you right now, you, you're a thinker and you also, you, you seem to take things in well and, and you, you kind of get a lay of the land and that's exactly what you did. And that made it really easy for me to get to know you and also to feel comfortable when I had all those athletes on my roster and I'm like, man, I need all the help I can get right now. And you were perfect there because you really helped me get outside the box of some of my more conventional strategies at that time, a little bit more based off of no knock to them, but Kevin Wilk and Mike Reinold, who are great clinicians, but a little bit more of the, the tra- not traditional, but what's been set as a precedent. And you really took me into this applied side of not just the FMS and SFMA, for those that don't know what that is, it's just basically a movement system, but also how to integrate things like dry needling and soft tissue work effectively right on the fly. I always love clinicians that know how to do things on the fly. One of my mentors, Pete Dreovich with the Jaguars now, he's, he's such an artful clinician like you. So I, it was easy to work with you because I learned so much working with you. I'll never forget that time. We won't say the player, but it was Dr. Uh, who was it? It was um, Dr. Andrews. Yeah. And we had to ask him if we could do the electrical stimulation with the needling. And he never heard of that being done before. And I, was, I remember he's like, well, Dave, yeah, that, that doesn't sound like a bad idea. That, that's fine. <laughs> I'll never forget that. I mean, so it was kind of cool doing some new stuff with you. And, and it was, I had a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, that, that, this is an art. And that was one thing that I was always taught in school, whether it was athletic training or chiropractic school, was you create what you want out of this and being receptive to who's in front of you, whether it's a professional athlete or Mrs. Smith. Um, I want to be a voice of reason for them and truly let them know that I care, that I'm here to help. And that helps mold my treatment strategies and, and my art form to the way that I handle a lot of athletes and also the way that I communicate with clinicians. You're really good at it. And I want to get into that a little bit of maybe the transitions in your career early on. I know you're also an athletic trainer as, as well as a chiropractor. I forgot to mention that, but all of a sudden you're jumping on endo boards on Instagram, doing the craziest things. I want to know how you started feeling comfortable putting that side out there, really putting your personality into your work, how that helped you connect with those you worked with and served. Yeah. The, I'd like to start with the, the story of the bearded kettlebell actually. And, um, when I was kind of formulating my brand, I grew up skateboarding and there was a company you would always see their newest t-shirts that would come out and you'd always want to have that. And I wanted to directly reflect kind of my youth into my branding. And so kettlebells have always been the foundation for my strength training and rehab programs. And so throwing a beard on it, not just because I have a stellar beard, just like you. I'm not at your level. Come on. Yeah, come on now. And I wanted to give back. And I was very impressed with what breast cancer awareness had done for the month of October. Mm. And when I was in chiropractic school, we had a lot of uh, Kiwis and, and Aussies playing rugby. And so No Shave November or Movember was a big movement. And so that was kind of my first introduction and really looking into what Movember means. Um, it's to create awareness for men's health and prostate cancer awareness. And for me, just growing up, my best friend passed away when I was 17. And that was kind of the intro into health for me and why I'm here and doing what I am today. So I put all of these kind of puzzle pieces growing up, my past, my future, and I formulated the idea of the bearded kettlebell. So um, a portion of my proceeds go to a nonprofit that my best friend's mom and I had started in his name. It's called Rob's Rescue. And um, so every patient that comes in at the end of the year, I give money back to that foundation, which supports uh, cancer families at um, All Children's Hospital in St. Pete, Florida. So there's a deeper meaning than just I have a beard and I like kettlebells, but I wanted to give back in kind of an 
ever giving way and forever. So the brand itself is a direct reflection of that. And um, even with the Bearded Balance program, we're going to be donating money back to this uh, charity as well. That's amazing. I commend you for that. And what I keep on learning about you more and more is how you, you figure out a way to kind of maintain purpose in everything you're doing and kind of somehow you make it all look so, it's so seamless. And a lot of people probably struggle to figure out how do I serve a greater good, represent those that you love, and also stay true to your passion. And that's amazing that you were able to use the bearded kettlebell to represent that. And I had no idea about that. Spencer and I started working together in 2016. We actually uh, met at a CFSC seminar that I had hosted. Um, and so sometimes it's funny on social media when to exactly put your finger on when there's an awareness of someone. But we met in 2016 and we've been working together ever since. And I can tell you that's something that I've learned from him over and over again. The details in everything that he does from the glass water bottles that he hands his patients when they come in the door, you know, the socks with the logo, like everything is tied into the ethos and, and more than just clever branding, you know, what I've come to realize for him, like with Rob's rescue, you know, we've all kind of seen, you know, like with the cancer movement that at some point it can be like, okay, I write a check every month to, or every year to an organization um, and I checked that box off. And, and I know that for, for Dr. Spencer, um, if you want to keep something front and center, if you want to keep it in front of you so that it doesn't get, you know, faded, because, you know, over time, the challenges of life, you know, we get distracted. So if you really want to keep something front and center, you make it a part of your mission and you integrate it at every facet. Um, and so, again, you know, it's like, keeps coming up, you know, and everything that we do, all the details, all the little things that are integrated into your ethos, your mission statement. I mean, yes, it creates conversation, but it's also a constant reminder to you every day to remind you, this is why I'm doing this. This is what this is about. Yeah, I think that's really important. And when you're working for a high performing sports organization, I know, Don, you worked, you, you served in the Olympics, it sounded like early in your career. Or is that right? Yeah, I worked some big Olympic training camps pre-96 Olympics and at the Olympics. Um, you know, I've been, this is, I think, my 30th year of professional coaching. I did a five-year turn working with NFL and NFL Combine. So I've definitely uh, spent my years in the trenches and seen a lot of these very high-end organizations and been part of elite disciplinary teams. And I'll tell you, like, again, you know, at some point, it just comes across as so effortless, but like case in point, when I first started working with NFL in year one, I came on the medical staff and it was like a murderer's row of experts in all these different disciplines. But what happened, and I have to guys, there's an actually an article on uh, that Sean White, the snowboarder wrote, where he was talking about working, you know, being on the road and looking for therapists and clinicians to work with him. So, when you get a phone call and it's Sean White, you're like, holy crap, it's Sean White. Everybody thinks that they need to bring their A game, right? So now you got all these experts tripping over themselves trying to bring their A game. But in that environment of team, it's not about your A game. So I experienced that where you got this murderer's row, but the net result as it related to the athlete was not good. And so something that I think Dr. Spencer does exceptionally well is if you're willing to subordinate the ego and take a step back and focus on, on winning and not who gets the credit, then you create this environment where, you know, not only does everybody feel valued and that they have an input, but it actually creates a team environment. And I think we've all been in those elite organizations where you have gatekeepers and, egos and organizational silos. And at the end of the day, what should look like amazing on paper, it just doesn't mesh. Um, and that's something that I've seen. And certainly like with me, we both discussed this early on in our career where we were, you know, had tours of duty and organizations where maybe we weren't utilized to the fullest extent. And we saw a lot of these 
organizational politics and things that go on. And, you know, we learn from that, um, you know, how to do it better. And again, usually winning amounts to subordinating your ego and understanding that it's not about bringing your A game. It's about understanding your role and focusing on the result. You make some great points, Don. And where I was initially going, which you kind of led into, is when you're at these big organizations, these big initiatives, sometimes it could feel a little bit like you're a needle in the haystack or a cog on the wheel where you are not able to speak your brand. And both of you have spent so many years in an elite performance setting. And James, you know, you really have integrated, you've maintained that purpose in everything you've done. And now Don, with you leading the Bearded Balance program as the director of performance, I think it's it speaks to all of that. And it's a perfect example of it. So how, Dr. Spencer, have you kind of evolved this through your work with professional baseball and just your insights with with those that you serve and and now bring Don in and 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 really pushing that initiative forward, maintaining that higher sense of what you're giving back to those you serve. Yeah, I have to thank my business coach for guiding me on some of this stuff, but it's really not about uh, me or us. It's um, it's a humanitarian project of we have everything to offer and nothing to prove. And that's kind of like an exclamation point statement to people who join the team is we know that the idea of creating a team is going to be unique and it's going to serve this better good, but it's really not about us and taking credit for any of this is it isn't the goal. It's how can we help people and come from a place of service? And I think when you check the ego at the door and you have that mentality, um, things manifest extremely quickly without really even putting too much effort forward. And as you know, with some of the stuff that you've done with John Denny, um, manifestation is real. And the quicker that you can become aligned with who you are and what your role really is and, and why you're on this earth as far as uh, creating a life fulfillment, that helps guide and formulate the team to who's meant to be on the team. You're making an amazing example of servant leadership, which I really personally believe in a lot. And so Don, tell me about how it's been kind of helping Dr. Spencer build out this program and, and where you guys are at currently. Well, you know, it's funny, um, you know, I'm a systems guy and particularly over the last decade, um, you know, I just, I have a desire that I want to be really good at what I do. I say, you know, I want to be one of the best coaches in America. And I say that humbly. So I spent over a decade out on the road, you know, studying all these high-end systems like the SFMA and, you know, I've done the entire TPI curriculum and, you know, all of this stuff. And at that, that point, it's as much about, you know, the networking, you know, and developing relationships as it is studying the system. So, you know, being a system guy, you know, number one, we kind of have that common language. And because we both worked on teams and learn how to, you know, work with other professionals, other individuals. Um, I've done a lot of personal development outside of the fitness industry, a lot of business coaching. So there were some, you know, big programs, national programs that I developed. Um, and, you know, in business, you kind of take your licks. So I had some situations that I went through where, you know, I was kind of trying to develop ideas and some of them were great. And, and some of them, the idea was great, but the way that I brought together the team, it just didn't mesh. Um, and so I had those frustrations of, of, of you know, leadership. Um, and leadership is, you know, it's a discipline. It's, it's a meditation. It's, it's not about, you know, standing in front of a room and telling people what to do. Um, one of my favorite, uh, uh, John Maxwell, foremost authority on leadership, says that, you know, if you think that you're leading and nobody's following, you're just taking a walk. And so, you know, Spence and I met at a certain time where we just developed this friendship and we started to talk and we started to talk almost daily and some of, sometimes two or three times, you know, a day on the phone since 2016. And so one of the really interesting things that's happened with Dr. Spencer is part of leadership is, you know, asking good questions. So we would have these conversations that turn into synergy where, you know, we're just going down these rabbit holes. And, you know, he was somebody that I greatly 
respected and admired and, and saw as a mentor. And yet he was really engaging me and enrolling me and, you know, basically letting me know like, you know, Hey, I really value your input and I value what you have to say. And I would see him, somebody that I think has just done an exceptional job at managing his reputation and his brand within the industry, you know, to know him is to love him. You know, everybody thinks, you know, Spence is great. So I look at that from a brand standpoint, I'm like, man, he's been really smart. So then to see him take little pieces of things that we had developed together and see them insert those things into a system. I was like, man, I was really humbled and taken back by that. And so I think for me, you know, when we have since, you know, gone through this process where we're developing other leaders in our system and within our team. Um, and so it really, again, you know, him being who he is in the industry, the lack of ego, the enrollment, the value that he would offer to me by, listening to my ideas and, you know, just really made me feel heard. And the more that I felt heard and the more I felt valued, then the more it encouraged me and the more my ideas grew and the more our ideas grow together. So it's really interesting, you know, like if you look at something like an FRC that over the last however many years has absolutely exploded in the industry and you say, well, how does those sort of things happen? Well, I've had the privilege since 2016 to see, the genesis of so much of the bearded kettlebell and the bearded balance system and to see all of the little pieces, all of the work behind the scene that goes on to getting to this point and understanding. And it is, believe it, it is an incredible amount of work. That's a, that's a great testimonial right there to, to what it might be like to work for uh, your program, Dr. Spencer. And uh, you also, you still have your clinic. You're in your clinic now. You have your performance facility there. It seems like there's a lot of different opportunities to immerse yourself into the different things you have going on. And and I want to talk specifically about how now in 2021, as clinicians, as modern clinicians, we'll call ourselves professionals in the, the sports performance industry, we we have to almost be creators and at the same time clinicians, right? So going forward, uh, you could see in the background, I got a master class. I think five years, if I said the word master class, people would have probably given me a, a funny dog look. And now if you say master class, they're like, oh yeah, I'm brainstorming mine. And what I personally struggle with is being the only man in this room 99% of the time you can go crazy. It, it what you're saying, Don. I'm I'm kind of bringing it together here. Is having that synergy is the most important thing. And there's a great book, uh, Who Not How, uh, and it, it's all about if you want to be successful with anything you do, you have to find the who's. Whether it's when you're injured and finding the right clinician for you, maybe it's not the, the, the highest profile clinician, but it's the right, the who for you. It seems like there's very much that who synergy between both of you. What are the specific elements of the balance program that you both have kind of really been able to mastermind in thought together and, and make it that, like you're talking about FRC, which is functional range conditioning, which is really taken over in the strength and conditioning world. I know, and it seems like you both have high aspirations with the bearded balance program. What are the elements of really kind of manifesting the, the balance at the highest level for those you serve together? It's uh, the aspect of play. As we age, we lose that. Right. And the, the guy, Hunter Jocelyn, who invented the Indo board, we had him on our Palm beach podcast. And he said something that stuck out to me and I'll never forget was embrace your inner kid. And it doesn't matter what age you are. And, and that being said, his mom, I believe, is 92 and still Indo boards. No so, way. Yeah. That's so crazy. to hear that, it's fascinating, right? And um, again, my business coach has had a lot of experience with uh, the aspects of play and, and high-level performance with uh, Chuck Hogan, who's an old-time swing coach, who would integrate the aspect yeah. of play with his athletes. And that's really where I see a lot of the balance program being like kind of the linchpin for everything. And 
this is the aspect that we would like to engrave in a lot of the people who we're going to work with or to mentor. And so kind of one of our goals for 2022 is to have a three-day balance placation. And that would be something that will integrate the aspects of health and wellness and good water, good nutrition, sunlight therapy, um, but also being vulnerable and opening up and having deeper conversations than just superficial, hey, how you doing? Everything's fine and dandy. And because that's why I know I'm on this earth is to lead by example and to integrate a lot of these aspects that I've learned or teams that I've brought together to give their area of expertise on this and to share that light with others. That's amazing. And the more I'm hearing both of you speak, I feel like there's different strengths I'm sure both of you have. And I know you and I, Dr. Spencer, have talked a little about the play uh, idea that you, the book that you were talking about, Stuart Brown, and the name of that book, Play. Yeah, I haven't gotten a chance to read it just yet, but when you told me about the idea, I thought that was fascinating. And I feel like with Don, some of the things you're talking about, I think you're kind of really marrying, you know, that systems approach with play and systematizing play, which I mean, you think about that and some of the biggest pain points of a patient or an athlete when they're injured or healthy, even, and working on performance, they don't feel connected or bridged to what they're doing. And I think that's what the bearded kettlebell is an example of. I think that's what you're an example of Dr. Spencer with being a a functional performance-based athletic training chiropractor, you've bridged it. And it seems like Don, from a system standpoint, has that provided some level of a positive challenge to figure out like, how do we systematize something subjective? So first of all, let me say this and and it kind of becomes almost a theme that the foundation of the barefoot imbalance is literally a best practices of the very best performance systems in the industry. So we started there and we looked at the movement continuum. Then we started to look at balance. So there was a a day where I came in to Spencer's shop, his his office, and he was going to put me through a balance assessment. And I was like, we're friends, we're buddies, we hang out. Okay. And now he's going to put me through this balance assessment. And I'm a pretty serious athlete myself. I've done sports my whole life. I still um, fight and compete in jujitsu and train all of the time. So he's going to do this balance assessment. I'm like, oh crap. Now my friend is going to ask me to do this performance thing. You know, and what will he think of me if I do poorly? And what does it mean about me and all of this kind of stuff? So I found myself kind of instantly in this situation where I'm all in my head about this thing that we're getting ready to do. And what we learned very quickly is that, you know, balance lives in the nervous system and that for you to execute balance, you have to be present. And so what is the fastest way to get somebody present? Well, Spence was relaying to me a story about a client that he had that came in that was, you know. Well, hold on. I'm going to pause. All right. So everybody, if we lost you for a moment, if you're drifting off, get in here, get present, because this is, I think, one of the epitomes of anything performance related presence. So maybe you can connect with this story. So go, go ahead. I like this. Yes. Yeah, so this I uh, had a 76 year old uh, former equestrian rider who I was taking through some balance program and she had a a ton of issues going on and I said what's your uh what's you know what does this make you think of and she instantly started dancing and walking across the balance beam like she had never done before and she says oh my god it's the scene from dirty dancing where they walk across the logs and I started laughing I'm like that's interesting it's an older movie and she started singing and dancing and she said but that's my favorite movie growing up And for her, it brought her to not only the aspect of play, but it brought her back to her youth, embraced her and her kid. And now she's fully present and enjoying the program. So for me, it was just fascinating to see that. So when we relate it back to the conversation that we're having, we just realized very quickly that if we, yes, it's a system, but if we come at this like performance coaches from a strictly 
you know, left brain analytical, you know, application of whatever, whatever people very quickly get in their head because like, listen, there's like certain benchmarks in fitness that we understand. Fundamentally, if you ask somebody to touch their toes and they can't touch their toes, universally, people understand that that means something. So if you can't touch your toes, you're telling yourself a story about what that means. And what's funny is when it comes to balance, I think that people somehow in their brain think that they're a ninja, right? So then when you put the rubber to the road and say, hey, walk across this little beam and reality hits, and they're all over the place. And you can see like their eyes shoot up in the top of their head and you can tell that they're instantly in their brain thinking about what does this mean that I can't walk across the beam. So as coaches, we're watching what's going down, we're experiencing what's going down and we learn very quickly that for you to execute balance, you have to be present. And then we made the connection and understood that the fastest way to get somebody out of their head, not feeling self-conscious, not having anxiety, not telling them a story, themselves a story about what this means, getting them to actually experience their experience. The fastest way to make that happen was to enroll them and invite them in play. Um, and when that happens and people start to play, they're instantly present. And yeah, so that was kind of how that came about. Yeah, you, you both got me thinking deep right now. And my mind just took me somewhere really interesting. Balance makes us human. Actually, balance is one of the, the most human things about us. Being a bipedal organisms, balance is so important. Yet, the other side, and this is where I started going deeper, is wait, we have a prefront. What about a cat? Cats got great balance. Of course, they have anatomical things that help them there. But we also have a prefrontal cortex, like you were alluding to, Don, with the thoughts, the emotions and the play gets us a little bit out of prefrontal cortex and into deep emotions. And it makes sense why balance should really be such a such a higher priority for for athletes. And then, you know, what I watch you've done, Spence, uh, Dr. Spencer, with the endo boards and the different jumps and things you've it's like somebody can quickly look at that and say, well, he's just trying to get attention, but I think anybody in the performance world or an athlete, they look at that in awe and in respect because it's like, I want to be able to do that. Or how does he do that? And you're relating it back to play, which we don't do in rehabilitation. I never would tell somebody, play with your shoulder, but explore movement. Explore mindfully. I just have to say what you just said, and I, I totally know what you're talking about, where somebody would look at the stuff that he does and say, well, he's just looking for, for attention. And here's what's funny. If you follow any of the stuff that he does, you learn very quickly that that's not the vibe or the energy that he puts out at all. It does not come across at all. And so what I would suggest to you that's kind of funny and ties into everything that we're talking about is <laughs> for anyone that would look at that stuff, and say he's just doing that for attention. I would say that those are the people that don't know how to play and don't know how to have fun. You know what I mean? People that don't know how to play and don't know how to have fun and they're standing on the wall watching people play and have fun and and they're kind of the curmudgeons that are saying, oh, that's stupid. <laughs> well, actually, you know what? If you actually rolled up your sleeves and tried it, you might you know, find that you've got this contagious smile on your face. I mean, but you, we're talking about such an important concept. So after I was working a little bit as a PT, I did a residency at Hospital for Special Surgery. But HSS took a lot of the play out for me. It, it was very regimented. My mentor, John Cavanaugh, is a legend in in physical therapy and, and athletic training and been to four Olympics. I don't know if he's there in Tokyo, but he's you you have an ACL reconstruction, you want to ask John, like, how should I be going about this? He's amazing. But at the same token, from a system standpoint, it was, it, I, I was, the systems were shoved down my throat and I, I obliged. I wanted it. I wanted to learn how to 
to to apply my knowledge in a systematic way to work with high level athletes. Then I came to the Cardinals. There's more systems, right? Because you have to have systems. So I was like a little shell shocked. And now I was learning about some more outside the box things like DNS and FMS and great things, but still systems. And now, you know, even as I still work at times and I am applying all these different systems that I think are great to the people I work with, but I don't catch myself enough and say, Dave, just let the person explore and play. That's what they want deep down. How do we do that? How do we do more of that? How do we, how do we get this out there? You know, what we're finding out is when we look at the, you know, you're familiar with the movement continuum where you have, you know, mobility, static stability, dynamic stability, strength. As a manual therapist, when we, you know, use a mobility intervention, we want to, you know, and we create a freedom and excursion of movement and then we want to lock it in with stability motor control. But what we're finding with play and balance is a direct input into the nervous system that anchors things into the nervous system. So think about this. If you think about discrete qualities like strength, mobility, balance, right? And then you say eggplant. Well, strength, release, eggplant, totally out of a context, right? What we're starting to understand is, is that mobility, stability, balance, Clay. Clay is, it's not eggplant. It is actually a finite, discrete quality. And what we're learning is in the same way that we use stability motor control to lock in a mobility intervention, we're actually learning that when we use balance throughout the continuum, it integrates and locks everything into the into the system. When we in it use play. Play becomes almost like this glue, this interface that integrates the things that we're doing. So we're just understanding that balance and play are integral pieces in that movement continuum. And the more we use those, the more the things that we're doing, like mobility, stability, the more they stick. All right. So I'm going to put this to both of you, whoever wants to answer. I want your definition of balance. I want the definition of play. So literally, we just came up with a the concrete definitions this week as a team because I have my thoughts, I have my input, but I wanted to hear the team's perspective and um, let's formulate these all together and think of play. We'll start off with play since it is the glue. Play is a sense of, it's not even an activity. It's a sense of a loss of time, which will also tie in play balance will also be an integral part of flow state. And that's when you are enjoying yourself, whether it is an activity or a meditation, it is the glue to engraving things into the nervous system. It's innately in us to play. Nobody taught a kid how to play or play tag or have fun. We just knew how to do it just like crawling. And this guy, Fred Donaldson, who wrote the book, Playing by Heart, he studied a lot of animal play. And one story that he was telling was he was on a, it was like a snow excursion where the sled dogs were pulling him out. And all of a sudden a polar bear came running out of nowhere. And he thought, Oh shit, something bad's going to happen here. And so he let the pack dog go to defend the pack and him. And next thing he knew that the polar bear and the dog were playing. And it was an integration of just literally learning about each other, exploring movements, gestures, uh, initiations. And they played for about 15 minutes and he had no camera to document it, but he said that experience was priceless. And it was just a fascinating way of looking at things because it wasn't about competition. And the balance stuff that I want people to understand, it's not about competition. It's about exploring a new movement and a new tool. And I got this concept from uh, the Onnit Academy. When I took one of their courses, they said, all right, we're going to set the clock for 10 minutes. We want you to go explore this new tool. And we don't care what you do, how you do with it, but go explore. And that was like the first time that I grabbed something and I just started to play in my own mind and use my imagination. 
And that's where it first started for me. And then exploring more and more of these books and how it integrated into the aspect of balance. So um, kind of a long-winded answer, but it's really just losing a sense of time and exploring something new without competition. Athletes in a flow state. And flow state is almost like a holy grail of, you know, the perfect application of everything that we've worked on in, into a seamless moment of perfect performance, right? Flow state. I've experienced athletes in flow state. And when I think of flow state, I think of an athlete that's incredibly focused like a laser, right? I can't always say if I ask myself that athlete in flow state, are they having fun? I don't know as I can always say that. But what we are starting to realize is that particularly kids, when we look at children, and also when we look at animals, like, you know, little puppies or baby tigers or whatever, is that when they are playing, they are absolutely in a flow state. Interesting. So it doesn't work both ways, though. Well, I mean, and I would submit that to, to you and, you know, as we're sitting here. I think we can agree that we've seen athletes in flow, flow state, hyper-focused like a laser. I wouldn't necessarily describe their presentation as having fun. Now, there are some athletes that we can think of examples of, you know, legends where, the, yes, they were in flow state, but they were just, you know, like, not only were they having fun, but like, even I think of the case of like a Michael Jordan. I mean, half the time he was out there doing what he was doing, he was just absolutely toying with the competition you know kobe yeah to extend as well it wasn't just he was going to win he was going right. to have to toy with the competition yeah great great podcast Dak shepherd uh interviewing tim grover if yeah. you listeners haven't you should listen to that talking about how he compared and contrasted kobe and, and michael I, I thought that was really interesting so it's another thing just hit me so what do we describe an athlete doing playing the game yet well, a lot of people are playing the game, but what's their definition of playing the game? And it seems to me like where you're going with all of this is kind of un is peeling an onion back into language to some degree of how we view kind of, you know, these terms that we throw around loosely. But even deep I talk about that a lot, but even deeper is our connection to to the physical world, really. Balance is our connection to the physical world. I came into your, uh, your, your facility down there in Wellington, 2017. You showed me your little area that had all the different, the, the, the different textures. And again, it's just like this thing, like, yeah, that's intuitive. That makes sense. I don't see that at, at high performance facilities though. And so like these simple things, like playing the game, what you're standing on, the shoe that you're wearing. I think this is going into something that, to be quite honest, I don't know if uh, any system we have thus far has really, you know, gone down the rabbit hole. Yeah, I, I read a lot. <laughs> and a book that I'm reading right now is called The uh, Magical Child. And it talks about the holographic brain and, and integration and sensory input. And the guy, there was somebody in there who studied um, families in Uganda and they realized that babies were actually quicker developers than American families or American babies. And they related it to like the backpacker or kind of like a papoose that you wear and the kid bouncing around created better sensory input and awareness to the outside world, which again, expedited balance into the nervous system. And that was fascinating because as we've learned through a lot of the systems, it's slowed them down, let the nervous system develop, right? Where in reality, if you give them a world to explore, that's what all of this is about is body and movement awareness. When, when you create the world of them to explore, now the nervous system creates the demand. And for a lot of the pro guys that I work with, I, I let them learn, explore, and then I guide. And I let them know that 
you have a governor on your nervous system, so you may want to lift heavier or throw faster. But if the governor is on the nervous system, it's not going to allow that power output or that increase in speed. The balance is the way to remove that governor. It's an integration of, of every cell, every system in the body to integrate and work together. And it's an algorithm that I think a lot of people take for granted. And it's something that once you experience it, you start to innately become more attracted to it and it actually becomes addictive. It's, it's really interesting how you're talking about the governor, that your balance system being your governor, because it makes sense. I mean, it's, pre, it's preventing catastrophe, essentially, you know, a fall. And, and you think about what's one of the major causes of, of injury or even maybe death in the, the, old, the elderly population. Falls, balance. So early in life, we come into this world where we we play, we play, we play, we play, we develop great balance. And then later in life, we lose it. And many people that you hear these stories, you hear a patient come in and say, Yeah, my father fell in the bathroom and he was there for five hours. You hear these stories on a weekly basis. You, I just saw on the uh, my iPhone popped up with news, which I'm trying not to look at. An Olympic athlete, I think, fell inside a, a bathroom, or so I didn't read the full story, and something with an Apple Watch and alerted somebody and from the head injury. It, it, balance, right under right under our nose. I know that it's a very comprehensive type of approach that you've developed. What are some basic elements in terms of even the sensory side of different textures. A lot of people want to know barefoot, non-barefoot. Where does a clinician or an individual that that's looking to improve this, where do they start? Awareness is curative number one. So if you're unaware of this stuff, it, it, that's step one. Um, the way that we integrate it is even with a lot of the athletes, a lot of the pro baseball players, it's let's get them barefoot and maybe lift barefoot. Let's talk about the concepts of earthing or grounding, getting multivariable stimulus to the brain to learn and adapt. And again, a lot of this is how we developed innately back in the day. So if we can tap more into that primitive reflex or that primal reflex, it's only going to help drive the governor on the car. And, you know, us working in baseball, it's interesting. A lot of the research that we've been looking at is um, lack of balance increases your, your chances of TJ. So mm -hmm. for a lot of our baseball pitchers, well, that's something that we need to actually probably spend more time as a skill development on and literally prioritize that more than strength training days when it comes to a lot of their skill development. What I find so interesting when I'm working with a lot of my patients, I take their shoe and their sock off and I tell them their foot's maybe flat or they don't have much of an arch or they're excessively pronating. And a lot of times they're like super surprised. They're like, oh, they haven't even looked at the bottom of their feet. Or the other thing I get is when I try and teach them some really low level foot, not low level, but basic foot intrinsic stuff, Vladimir Yanda stuff, just short foot or what have you. And they are not bought in. They're like, this is going to help me. So I, I, I'm Selfishly kind of curious in this podcast, if you can help me kind of navigate those conversations better and also your general thoughts there for, for both of you. So I'm going to field this one because um, I think this is really an important point. Um, I took an executive leadership program and they talked about having it how you have it. Um, so it's a bold statement to say that we're looking to change the paradigm in the industry. We're looking to change the language of the industry. So you remember... Not that long ago, I think it was Nick Winkleman was doing a lot of position pieces on external queuing versus internal queuing. Um, and being a TPI guy, we, we talk about random versus block practicing, right? So we really start to hone in on, you know, how are we coaching? How are we presenting? So being somebody that for seven, eight years, over 50% of my business was high-end, D1 bound high school and college athletes, speed and agility expert. We look at, you know, how we basically 
take movements and break them down into drills and basically teach movement, right? So I found something that was really interesting that would happen with an athlete where you're coaching an athlete and they make a mistake. And however you want to identify the mistake, whatever, you know, you, you coach them. So you started to notice that they're thinking about what they're getting ready to do. So when you're thinking about what you're getting ready to do, where are you in time? If you're thinking about what you're getting ready to do, you're in the future. Or when they're thinking about the mistake that they, that they just made, they're in the past. So what we know is that presence occurs in the present. So if we start to really look at, again, when we considered internal and external queuing, we started to really consider how we were delivering the coaching, how it was landing with the client, and then what was the result of how we were coaching it. And we started to realize that how we coach things, how we present things actually has a big effect in the delivery. So in, in this case, if you're talking about things like, you know, the short foot and, you know, kind of talking about conversations and there's drills and stuff that I do to help people understand where their weight distribution is. But what's interesting and we found is just like just the two by four that when you ask people to walk across the two by four, you might as well ask them to walk across the tightrope that's 200 feet off the ground. Their approach to it is the same, okay? And you don't have to explain to anybody or, or draw them a Venn diagram or, or, you know, hand them an infograph to understand what happens if they fall off a tightrope that's 15 feet up in the air. They instantly, instinctively know. So in this case, I think what we've realized is, is if we step back from the coaching part and just invite them to an experience hey, I'd like you to try this out. And sometimes we know, like as coaches, you know, if I ask a certain question that's offhand, the client's not expecting it, then it gets them out of their head about whatever it is that they're focusing on. So we started to realize that when we added pieces like music, that was a big piece that Dr. Spencer added, it just really got people out of their head. So I think there's still a lot of value in, you know, creating those drills, you know, short foot and doing all that kind of stuff. But you said it yourself, you know, like I've had a million people tell me that they have flat feet and then you just adjust the position of their foot. Now all of a sudden they don't have a flat foot anymore. So it's not that they have a flat foot. They just don't have any awareness of their foot in space, how they you know, relate their foot to the ground, all of that kind of stuff. Um, in terms of buy-in, particularly in the beginning, it's hard to get somebody back once you've lost them. So I think fundamentally the way that we approach it, we're starting to change and move away from these very left brain clinical drills, even like I call it the pill with the peanut butter. We've got an assessment. We have a bunch of stuff that we're looking at, but the way that we present it we can either lose the client really quick or we can anchor them in. So if you invite them to an experience, you ask them to do things like walk across to two by four, the rapport is instant. You've got them. You've got them hooked. Once you have them hooked, then I think that you can add those pieces. And because you've got the rapport and the buy-in, then everything that you do after that, they're bought in. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And I think, you make a great point about the left versus right brain. And when we're coaching, you talked about internal, external cues. A lot of times in rehab, still, we're coaching people on very left brain centric, you know. Break techniques. it down, right? Yeah. And when you tell them to, you know, walk on a certain type of implement or, or what have you, they know exactly what to do. And, uh, you know, for, for instance, just spinal posture during movements. I mean, you could spend a course, an episode of care with somebody on just getting them to get pelvic awareness. So how do you get them to that point where, well, what I'm having them explore and play with is going to get them there on its own, which is really, really empowering and, and makes your job as a clinician 
easier. So I, I'm looking forward to learning in the program how to how to do that, to take some of the trim the fat away from when I'm coaching, and just having people kind of tap more into this this idea behind play and in everything and in, in all movements. Yeah, you know, to say you know you know you know check out the book. You know, we've created this systemized approach of progression and regression using different types of implements. So that's, that's the technical part. It's just the way that we're approaching it and the way that we're presenting it to the client, we're doing it in a different way. And we found that the way that we present it, the way that we offer it, invite them to an experience, give them permission to experience their experience. And it sounds kind of funny, but in an adult world that we live in, you know, particularly if you ask something, somebody to do something that they perceive to be a low level, low threshold activity, and they struggle with it. Now they're really self-conscious, right? When you actually give an adult a permission to play, that's a big deal. And we, we've learned and realized that for some people, literally it is giving that them that invitation and that permission to experience to play you don't have to be perfect. That's not what we're looking for here. There's no test. No, you know, no salesman will call. Nobody's going to judge you, you know, and just invite them into the experience. The results are drastically different. This is awesome. So as we wrap up, I'm just looking for maybe like a few examples. And for clarification, is this just mainly focused on, of course, you can't isolate the body especially when we're talking about balance or play, but it, are these things that integrate all different types of movements on all in all positions? And can you give us some examples of, of maybe what's to come with the program? Yeah. So vision, hearing, and proprioception, right? Like those are the integral parts of the aspects of balance. So all of those will be incorporated. Um, we have certain measurements for progression regressions, it's not just walking on a balance beam. We're, we're going to have um, things like what's known as fingertip phenomena. And that's an aspect of literally just touching fingertip to fingertip. It's a point of reference for the brain to increase stability. Um, things to come, we're looking into aspects of virtual reality training to implement for people who, whether it's post-op rehab, um, our elderly population, uh, things like that. There's, there's so much research to support the aspects of virtual reality for balance. Um, it's astronomical. So uh, one experience that we have, it's called Richie's Plank Experience. And that's a virtual reality game that you can do now. I play it all the time with my son. And essentially you're on the 50th floor of a skyscraper and there's a beam that walks off the building. And so you can see birds flying by, you can hear the breeze it creates this somatosensory input and you feel like you're on top of the building. And so aspects of like, like that, it's just fascinating to see how that's going to be an integral part as well as a part of our program. Sounds like fun stuff. And is this going to be for clinicians to learn how to integrate this approach with their, their clients and their patients, athletes? Yep. Awesome. So how can people find out more about the program and maybe even any opportunities to collaborate? Yeah. Yeah. We invite, we invite people, uh, people who want to create content together, write Articles, um, videos, et cetera. We invite them to contact us at the bearded balance on Instagram. We have our first workshop coming up in Miami, August 21st and 22nd. We have a second one scheduled in LA um, in January. And so those are the two we have on the books now. And we'll also be hosting more in 2022. Awesome. Well, I'm looking forward to it. I wish I could be down there. Is it going to be streamed or online? Uh, that's going to, that, that'll be something that we're going to toy with as far as live streaming, kind of pay to play type of deal. I think that would be awesome. I'm sure there's a lot of people that would love to jump on board because I could tell you firsthand, especially from my graduate degree, my physical therapy program, we got not enough higher level balance 
education, training, and implementation. And I don't think any programs are talking about play and and everything on that front. So this is really cutting edge. This is really kind of uh, amazing to see your evolution and having Don on board. It seems like you have an amazing team already. And I'm honored to have you guys come on and talk about it. And doors always open to share more as it evolves. Thank you so much for the invite, Dave. Thanks, Dave. Have a good rest of your summer. Cheers. 